0: The Rashba took a very interesting position about the eternal nature of mitzvahs, arguing that even in the era of Tchiyas Samesim, none of them could be suspended. However, a faction of his rabbinic colleagues disagreed with him over this issue. In this class, we examine the sources that were central to this discussion and also analyze the underlying dynamics, namely the attempt at the time of Christian missionaries to undermine Yiddishkeit. Let us see how the Rashba and his colleagues dealt with this problem. In the year 1263, there was a famous event that occurred in Barcelona, in the Kingdom of Aragon, today in Spain, where there was a disputation between the Ramban, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, and a representative from the Christian faith, and they debated various issues relating to the differences between Yiddishkeit and uh, Christianity. Last summer we did a shear on this topic, you may recall, uh, related to the issue of was Mashiach born on Tishabov. And most of that class revolved around this specific uh, disputation. After the disputation, the Ramban wrote down an account of what happened. And uh, it's normal to wonder, uh, what was chapter 2? Every story is chapter 1, there's always a chapter 2, and that is the aftermath. And the M.S. is that the Ramban would not have really been privy to what happened in the aftermath of his debate. And that's because soon thereafter he was expelled from the Kingdom of Aragon and went to Eretz Yisrael. The reason he was expelled was because he did not have permission to write down or disseminate a record of this disputation. We discussed this again in the year last summer. What I want to do tonight is so look at what was the chapter 2. And there definitely was a chad, there definitely was a hemshik, there definitely was a continuation. And today's shir will be a small window into what that continuation would have looked like. So we're going to begin by noticing, by learning a passage of Medrish. This comes from Medrish Mishlay, which is a collection of medrash that's based on the Sefer of Mishlay. And uh, it's a f- rather, this passage of this Medrash is rather famous. It's also brought in other collections of Midrashim, such as Yalkot Shemaini, But we're going to quote it from the Medrash Mishlei, which seems to be its original source. The Medrash is stelling on the Pasuk in Mishlei Perek Tes, af archa shulchanah. Which means, she set up her table. Now what the Pasuk means in its original context doesn't matter for our purposes. What matters is that the drash of this Medrash is that this is going on Esther Amalka. That Esther Amalka, she set up her table. What does it mean that Esther Amalka set up her table? Says the Medrish, She set up a table both in this world and in the future world. What does that mean? What does it mean she set up her table? What are we referring to? Says the Medrish, It's the good name, it's her reputation, it's her fame that she got both in oilam hazeh and... In olam haba. Now the Medish says, what does it mean that she's going to have her reputation and her fame in olam haba? So the Medish continues and says, because all of the yamim tovim are eventually going to be nullified. Vimeh however, the yamtuf of Purim, which is about Esther, ainon they're never going to be nullified. How do I know it's never going to be nullified? Shanamar, because we have a pasek in Megillus Esther that says as follows Vimei lo yavru The days of Purim will never be removed from the Jewish people. And so, therefore, Esther set up her table, meaning through her deeds and the story of Purim, she gained for herself fame and a positive reputation, not only in her day and in our day, but also in, her day in, day, but also in her day, the Chidish of the Oelam Habba part, is because. Many of the other heroes who are celebrated in the other Yamun Toivin, Lav Davka. If you come to Ichweis, Moshe Rabbeinu, about Pesach, we're hearing here, there, there isn't going to be the positive reputation for Moshe Rabbeinu, it sounds like here, uh, Lo'elam Abba, because Lo'elam Abba, there is not going to be a celebration of Pesach. And likewise, you can have a similar discussion for other Yamun Toivins, specifically Esther, who acquired for herself a reputation also, Lo'elam Abba. This is what the nameless Memrah of the Medrash says, I'm a rabbi then rabbi Lozar comes along, and he says, I'd like to add something. What does he add? Af <laughs> <laughs> yoim hakipurim, kippurim ain't batal also is never going to be nullified. Don't, the other one's no problem. But in addition to purim, also, yoim <laughs> hakipurim. It's known that the name sounds similar, right? It's been noted in other contexts. Yoim <laughs> hakipurim is never going to be batal oilam. <laughs> Why? I have a pasuk. What's the Pasuk? We say, This is going to be an everlasting statute, where the Jews are going to be forgiven, atoned for once a year. And notice the Pasuk says it will be for you a What's a Chuk Everlasting. Everlasting means you can't say that it's going to be nullified. And this is a Pasuk he quotes in Parshas Ahre Mois. The MSA is that we have a similar possek in this week's parasha. this week's parasha, we have a parasha of the Yomim Tovim. And we go through all the, the, the Yomim Tovim, all the biblical Yomim Tovim. And over there, when it comes to Yom Kippur, we take a say that Yom Kippur is going to be a Chukas Olob. Ad Khan, the Medrash. Now, the Rashba was a Talmud of the Ramban. And the Rashba was, so to speak, the Jewish leader. After the Ramban left, the, the Rashba took the mantle of being the leader of, of the Jewish people in, 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 in this area of Spain. And in fact, there are many different areas in Jewish life where he was very important. And he, and he wrote many tshuvahs, many, uh, many questions that came into him, and he wrote different answers. And this set of tshuvahs is very popular. In fact, it's one of the first Jewish books to be printed, the first dated Jewish book to be printed, was printed in 1475 that has a date on it. It has a colophon. You can read it. We know the date. However, it is known that there were svarim that were printed beforehand in Rome a few years earlier, around 1470. And the chuvas of the rashba are one of this collection of eight, nine svarim. I don't remember that were printed in Rome. They just don't have an exact date. So we don't know what's first, what's second, what's third. But this, the first collection of svarim, it shows how popular the chuvas of the rashba were. And someone asked the rashba, Shaila, what's pshad in this medrash? talking that you have this medrash? What's the problem? The problem is, the, the person writing the question says, isn't it the case that Judaism, the halachas of Torah are everlasting, they're forever? So how could you have a medrash that says quite explicitly that all the Yamim tovim except for one or two, are gonna be in his battle? Sha'alta and the Rashbor respond. You ask, Masha Amrub a medrash Sefer Mishle, you asked about this medrash in On Mishle, and he quoted the Meddash, and the Lashon of the question is, Who has the audacity to say that even one word, one letter from the Torah is going to be nullified? Even the smallest crown, the tip of the letter of the Yud can't be nullified. How can we say about yamim Tovim that they're going to disappear? Well, the Rashba agreed with the questioner. The Rashba agrees, as we're going to see, that it is impossible to take this medrash literally. Tshuva, In order to establish his point, he says, I want to point out additional uh, interesting things about this medrash. And here he quotes the shita that we have it in our version of the medrash Mishle, it's Rabba Lazar. In the Rashba's version, for whatever reason, it was Rabbi, Rabbi Yodanasi, who suggests that in addition to Purim, it's also Yem Kippur. Frek the Rashba, why? Because by Yom Kippur it says, One second, and go to Pesach. Look at Parshas Boy when it talks about Pesach. What does it say? It says clearly in Parshas Boy that the Pesach is going to be in a forever. So if that's good enough for Rebbe or Rebbe Lazar to turn Yom Kippur into an everlasting Yom Tif, so then why isn't it good enough for Pesach to turn him into an everlasting Yom Tif? And we may add that the Rashba doesn't do it. And if you look at the Parshas HaMoyedis and Parshas Amr, you'll notice that by shvuis there's a pasuk that says, Chukas And by Sukkot in this week's parsha also you see that message of L'deirei Seichem. And so therefore, the Rashba is basically piling on. You asked one question, I'm going to ask another question. What's this, the Rashba's intention? The Rashba's intention is to basically say, so therefore, because of these difficulties, we have to reinterpret this message. Which he proceeds to do? Therefore, this is what I think its meaning is. What he's saying over here is, you're misunderstanding what Tasmadosh is saying. It's not telling you, do you need to keep it forever? You don't need to keep it forever? Will it be obligatory forever? No, no, no. That's not what's under discussion here. What's under discussion here is it's a promise from Hashem, a special promise about Purim. What's the special promise about Purim? Hashem, and He only said this about Purim, and He never said this about any other. Hashem is looking the Jewish people in the eye, and He's saying, by the way, you should know, there's never going to come a time in history that because of persecution, you're not going to be able to observe this holiday. That's all it means. Whereas for the other Yamim Tovim, we never received that assurance. And then he goes on to quote a pasuk from Eicha. The pasuk in Eicha and Eicha Perek Beyes says as follows: Hashem b'Tziyon, Moyed Here, the lamentation is basically trying to say that because of the korban, because of the destruction that happened in Eretz Yisrael, so there's no more Mayed, there's no more Mayed, and there's no more Shabbos, there's no more Yom in Eretz Yisrael. So that's an example of, where, due to persecution, a Yom and a Shabbos fell away. And that happened to Rosh Hashanah, and it happened to uh, Sukkis, and it happened to Pesach, and it happened to all the Yom Tovim. Even Yom Kippur, you'll see. It happened to all the Yom Tovim. Purim, it's not going to happen to. Vas Epes, why Dafke Purim? It's not going to happen to, he doesn't discuss it he doesn't say so we're not going to get into it. It's not about telling you what Jewish law is. It's just a unique promise that's, a, that's appended to Purim. What about Yom Kippur? Another view adds Yom Kippur. So the Rashma, you maybe could have said the same thing, that God promises that Yom Kippur will never, but take it away, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't say that. It could be he doesn't say that because it's not the, the first view says it only about Purim. So that should be a standalone view. The idea of that there's this promise forever, that's important. Yom Kippur is a new man to it's a new person. So therefore, it should be a new understanding, a different perspective. And what does he say? He says, he interprets it as follows. What does the pasik mean? It's a promise. It's similar, but it's different. It's a promise that it's going to be everlasting. In what sense? The day will serve as an atonement forever. Irrespective of whether you're observing it or not. In other words, Pesach, if you want Pesach to mean something for a Jew, he observes it it means something. He doesn't observe it, it doesn't mean anything for him. It doesn't do anything for you if you don't observe it. That's the average yomtiv. Yom Kippur is unique where we're told that even if you do nothing, it still has an, uh, an impact on you. And in that way, it's everlasting in a way than uh, more, more so than all the other Yom Tif. They could be battle in the sense that it has no impact on you if you fail to observe it. But Yen Kippur, even if you fail to observe it, it's gonna have an impact on you. This is how he touches. And this, he goes on to say, is consistent with the view of Rabbi Uda Remember, the Rashbah has this, the Yom Kippur viewpoint linked with Rabbi Uda not with Rabbi Lazar. We have a Loikas in the Gemara and Shavuos about Yom Kippur. Is it itzuma Yishol does the day itself atone, irrespective of what Jews do, or, no, it's a contingent on behavior. Chachamim say, Lashavim. You have to do tshuva. Yom machabra, Lashavim. In other words, if you don't tap into what Yom Kippur is, it's going to be meaningless for you. Papashtos, on the simplest level. Rebbe is the one who says that even if you don't observe it, it's going to have an impact. Also, oh, it works out perfect. That's what's happening here in this particular, uh, that's what's happening in this particular medrash. And he concludes that Ashba does, ava chukas ha but when it says chukas by that's Azhara, that means forever keep it. And likewise by Sukkis, and likewise by Shavuos, when in our Parsha, when it says chukas that's telling you what to do and not to do. But Purim and Yom Kippur, the chukas oylem element is not about a command of how long, of a duration of how long this obligation is in effect. For Purim, it's about there will never be persecution that gets Jews to stop observing this, whereas for other ones it will happen, as we see in Echa. For Yom Kippur, even without observing it, and only for Yom Kippur, even without observing it, it's going to mean something It's going to have an impact on the Jewish soul. And this is how he explains what this medrash means. Now I hope you realize that, you know, sometimes we read a piece of rabbinic commentary, and uh, it sounds a little bit like a doichik. And what does a doichik mean? Many questions come up in our head, many questions. Many, and this is exactly what happens over here, because throughout the ages when people looked at this interpretation of the Rashba, many people asked many, many questions, and I'm sure if you put your time and start, and wrote down your question, you come up with many different questions on the Rashba's interpretation of this medish. We're going to look at two questions that were asked by prominent Rabbonim in the 1500s. The first is the Maharal, and the Maharal says as follows, did we forget about the context over here? Let's remember, there was a Passock in Mishle, and the Mishle said Esther gained a reputation. What's an Oilam Abba? Because all the Yom and Tovim are not going to be in Oilam Abba, and Purim is going to be in Oilam Abba. Good. So the whole Nakud of this Medish is to say that all the Yom and Tovim are not going to be in this era that's called Oilam Abba, and that Purim will be. But uh, the, 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 the Rashba told us that's not what it means. The Rashba says it has nothing to do with Olam Haba. The Rashba is saying that, uh, that in Olam Haba all Yaman Taiva are equal in terms of their observance. So this is not fair, he says. You stripped it of its original context. This is the Mara'al's problem in his Sefer, Teferis Yisrael. Then we have the Manas HaLevi. The Manas HaLevi is Reb Shloy Halevi Alkabitz. He's known as the author of uh, Lich But he also wrote a Sefer, the Manas HaLevi. It's a full Sefer on Megillah Esther. I don't remember. I think. I think it's the first... Safer on the Megillah. I think the person who wrote a full-fledged safer, a full volume, a huge commentary, and there are many things that we only have, interpretations that we that he quotes that otherwise we wouldn't have. Anyway, he writes in Hakdama that this is a Mishlehmanis that he's sending to Ishver because he doesn't have a fancy shal- Meshleach mishlay to prepare. We spoke about him once in a in a previous class. Sara Bshlema Alevi al Qabbit says, I don't understand this Rashba. He says, "Vedaitik I don't understand what he means. I don't get it. Aleph number one. His, his whole thesis is difficult. Why? Shalei amad hanisayon abitul zek kamoize. Experience has shown that these yamim tovim have been this battle due to persecution, just like these. In other words, what he's saying is, let's look at. Remember his time, right? He's writing 1540s, 1550s, 1560s. I don't know exactly his dates, but it's the mid 16th century. He's writing. And there's what happened in Spain. There's what happened in Portugal. You, you, the Jews there were able to observe Purim. Jews over there weren't observing Purim. So the idea that Pesach was taken away from a community and there was a community wasn't able to observe it, uh, and not Purim, he feels that historically it's inaccurate. He says experience has shown that whatever happened to the other Yamim Tovim has happened to Purim too. And so therefore he feels like he has to reject the Rashba's uh, uh, answer. And then he goes on to ask another question. He says, Ra- the, the Rashba made a big deal out of the fact that it's the Shita of Rebbe. And Rebbe holds Yom Kippur because Rebbe's Shita is that Yom Kippur is machaper, even if you don't do Tshuva. And so he's the one who says, Chukas Olam, because it means even if a Yid doesn't do Tshuva, the moyad isn't going to be bottled from that Yid. Okay, our pro- Girsa doesn't have Rebbe. It has Rabbi Lazar. And we're going to start saying that Rabbi Lazar links up with Rebbe. That's not such a simple thing to do. That's not such a th- simple thing to do at all. And even if you want to say that our geirsa is wrong, and that his geirsa is right, and maybe it should say, Rabbi, he says, I still don't understand. At the end of the day, the psukim are very similar. Read the pasuk by Yom Kippur. What does it say by Yom Kippur? It says, uh, It should be for you, What does it say by Pesach and Parsha's boy? That is extremely similar. Extremely similar. So how are we coming along saying that this pasuk over here, which is almost the same words, this one is a command for the duration, Pesach command duration forever. And this one is not a command about the duration. It's telling you that when, whether it's gonna have an effect on your neshama, whether you observe it or not. He feels that this is a difficulty. So these are three questions that were asked by these daily Yisrael, the Ma'aral, and the manas HaLevi, uh, again, both of them writing in the 16th uh, century on the Tshuva of the Rashba. Now, before we address these questions, let's look at another scene that is very, very similar to what we just experienced. We'll start with the Chazal. Look how the Rashba interprets this Chazal, and then see the questions that pile up on Rashba's interpretation. The Gemara in Nida Dafsamah Aleph says as follows. Tanu Rabbonu, we learned in Abraisa, Beged she'ovad boy kilayim. You have a garment, the kalayim got lost in it. What does that mean? So let's say it's a garment of linen and there was a thread of uh, wool and we know it's there, but we can't identify it in. If you identify, you can take it out. We don't know where it is anymore. So you can't wear it, you can't wear it now. Um, so what do we do with it? So what do you do with this garment? So the various uses. One of the things the b'risa says you can do is imenu You're allowed to take this and turn it into shrouds and you're allowed to bury a, a, a person who has passed away. You're allowed to bury him in this garment. The commentaries explain, it's not only if there's one string, uh, one uh, small strip of, even if the whole thing is full of kalayim. And, no problem, you're allowed to use kalayim for shrouds. Omar Rav Yosef, it says the Rav says the following implication. Zay shows us that mitzvah is lost lavay, that the mitzvah, the pasta this means in the era of Ulam Haba in the future, the mitzvahs are gonna be potl. What does he mean? So the, the basic commentators tell us, Taysva says it, many others say it. What he means here is as follows: if you're bearing a yiddin kelayim and then there was one day gonna be Triyas he wakes up, and guess what? He's wearing You're your him for a few centuries from now. How could you do such an act? The answer is no, because na- now there's no issue, right? And then, who, it's also no issue. Now there's no issue because he isn't alive. Then when he returns to life with Tchiyas HaMezim, Mitzvahs Patei There's no more. there's no Mitzvahs anymore, there's no Chiyuven, there's no Isar of kilayim anymore. There's no Isar of shanis anymore. And so therefore, he says that, and so we see from here that Mrs. Patei lost love good. Now, the Rashba has a commentary on Maseches Nidah. Rashba. Let's see what the Rashba says. The Rashba says he has a very big problem with this understanding of the Gemara. What's his problem with this understanding of the Gemara? So he cites the story in Yecheskel of Hatzomas HaYevashas. You have the nevuah in Yecheskel where the navi is told to go to a valley under his dry bones, and he prophesies and then they all come together and they come back to life and there's different difference and the Gemara, what does this mean? Is it something that happened in the past? Is it something that will happen in the future? A literal metaphor, many different views about what's happening here. And in that discussion, there is a, uh, an amora that says, hold on a second, why are you having this discussion if it happened, it didn't happen, in fact it happened, and it's in the past and it happened. And the Lashon of the Gemara is, one of the Amorim says, Abba mehen, my own parents come from them, the elut fillin sheini achli and I got this fillin uh, uh, from my father comes from one of those people of the say midbar. Okay, and Rashba thinks that this is a huge problem for our Gemara. Mitzus betelis lasit lavai and this is a huge problem. Now the truth is you're gonna have to struggle to understand why this is a problem because on the face of it. Mrs. Petalis is talking about something that's far off in the future, hopefully not far off in the future, but something in the future in a world that's very different from ours. And he's asking a Shyla about an event that happened in the past. What is even his question? Well, his question is, what does Mrs. Betelis Lassallave mean? He's choosing to understand it is that once a person passes away and then comes back to life, there's no more Mrs. anymore. That's how we understand this Mitzvah also lovely. When a person passes away and comes back to life, so then in round two, there's no more Mitzvahs. And that's lost in love, so there's no more Mitzvahs anymore. That, he says, doesn't make sense when you consider this Gemara. Because here you have someone who says, my father had passed away, he was brought back to life, and I have a Tzvillin. In other words, he was keeping the Mitzvah of tzvilin, presum- after he wo- after he came back to life. Why was he keeping the Mitzvah of after he came back to life? Presumably, it wasn't volunteering, presumably it was an obligation. So here I see that even after a person experiences Tchiyah Sameisim, there is a Chiyav to do mitzvahs. So how could I say that after the collective Tchiyah Sameisim, there's going to be no mitzvahs? And the Rashba feels this is a huge, huge question. And because of this question, the Rashba says, I am going to offer a new interpretation of what this Gemara means. It's not what you think it means. Mitzvah does not mean that in the era of Olam Haba, in the era of Schar, in the era of Trias HaMezim, there's no mitzvahs. That's not what it means. What does it mean? What does it mean? Misha HaShemes Ka'amar. It means, a person is exempt from mitzvahs in the hereafter, meaning once they pass away, when a person's body is lowered into the grave which is lost of lovely, right? We're alive today, so it's not. In the future, when people pass away, that element, that interpretation of future, there is no mitzvah that is relevant to them. Now, we see, that's very obvious. See, so he says, I'll explain what the Chiddush of the Gemara is. We know when it comes to children, that there is, uh, there is no obligation, min if you see a child eating non-kosher food, there is no chi of min ha to stop the child from eating non-kosher food. But after became the Gemara says in Yavamis that when the Torah says, Loi soichlum, that you shouldn't eat shkatzim, it's talking about um, creepy things, that you shouldn't eat it, the chazal darshan, that word, Loi soichlum, means, Loi ta'achilum, don't feed them, don't feed them to children. So even if you don't need to make a macha for the child eating the non kosher, you're not allowed to actively feed a child non kosher, and the lushan is, connected to this week's Parsha, The older people have a chiyuv to ensure that the children don't do it, at least in the sense that the older people, the adults, are not allowed to actively be involved in helping the child do the aver. Oh, so a person could have said and say, hold on, maybe, yeah, that person who has passed away doesn't doesn't have a chiyuv, but I'm the one who's burying him. And so just like I can't give non-kosher to a child who doesn't have a chiyuv, I can't give non-kosher to a dead body. Now, what does that mean? I can't dress him in in non-kosher clothes. So there would be a havamina. therefore comes a Gemara and says, Amar of Yosef, zo is a merit, mitsuz in the future, after a person passes away, mitsuz beteles, and there's no issue, even you can dress that, the, the deceased in shrouds that are made of kilain. Aye, asid lo'avoy doesn't sound like that. asid to me sounds like you're talking about Moshiach Saiten, sounds like you're talking about Tzchiyas HaMesim. Says I'll bring you rayas from Chazal, that they use the word lost love in two ways. Sometimes Chazal used the term lost love to refer to the, t- the times of Mashiach and to the times of Tchiyaz amazing. Sometimes lost love just meant in the future. And he brings a few examples. One of the examples is from a Gemara and Yuma. The Gemara and Yuma has the following discussion. Rav Yosef, was Matir on Yom Kippur, he gave a lecture, and he was Matir people to come and walk to his lecture, even though it meant that they had to walk through a river to get him. And that's a, Rich, r- you now will do rechitzah on Yom Kippur. Okay, fine, if you know the dinim of a rechitzah and, and the specifics, it's okay, you're allowed to, you don't intend to do rechitzah, it's okay, you're allowed, See so he let them come. But, however, when it came time to go home, he said, no one's allowed to go home, because then you're gonna be walking through, the, uh, on the way here, you had the justification of a shir Torah. You don't have that justification now, so you can't. You can't go back in the water on Yim Kippur. So Abayah said, Im Kain, or whatever, say, You're being mach them meaning next year, la'asad simply meant next year. Next year, no one's coming to your shir, because they know they could come, but they can't go back, right? That's what if a magad shir ends his shir late, it's the same thing. People aren't gonna come back if you end your shir a little late. Okay, so what does Rashba show you? That La love doesn't mean. What does La love there mean? It means next year. So La Ased can mean in the near future. And this is the Rashba's interpretation. And so it makes so much sense to obviously tie these two pieces together. We have a medrish that sounds like it's saying there's no Yom Toyvin besides for one or two when Mashiach comes or in the era of Tchiyas HaMesim. Rashba says, no, wrong understanding. We have a Talmudic statement, which makes it sound like there is no mitzvahs. And the Rashba comes and says, no, that's the wrong understanding. It's just saying that when a person is dead, they have no mitzvahs. But in fact, when a person is, a, 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 when people are going to wake up for Tchiyas HaMezim, there is going to be mitzvahs. And in fact, he leaves us here with a question that's unanswered. And that is, so Iba why is it takem Mutter? To bury someone in with Shatnis. When they wake up in Tchiyas with Tchiyas they're going to be over in Okay, and according to you, mitzvahs aren't pateh So, So what, what makes you allowed to do it? So in his commentary to the Gemara, he actually did not address this question. We're gonna hold that later. We're gonna see eventually he did. What's interesting about this La'osad thing is that you know, the, the Rebbe would give minus, very brief responses to certain types of reports that were given to him. One of them is that the Rebbe would use very often is Ken Yervaser Toiv La'osad Lovay. And if you speak to people that got these answers, ask them how they understood, how they understood this uh, answer. Some will tell you, they understood the Rebbe to the saying, you should in the future continue to make, uh, to, uh, to convey psuris Some people understood it more in the sense of loss of love and mashiach So you see it's a similar type of discussion that's happening here uh, in, in the Rashba. Now, last time I showed you, after the Rashba introduced his innovative interpretation on the medish, what happened? I showed you two very powerful questions from the Maharal and from the Manas HaLevi. Let's do something very similar now. We'll introduce two or three very powerful questions from the Ritva. The Ritva learned by the Rashba. The Rashba is Rabbi ben Aderes. The Ritva is Rabbi Yomtev ben Avram. The Ritva is a little younger. And the Ritva learned by the Rashba. It wasn't his Rebbe. His main Rebbe, the Ritva's main Rebbe, we'll see later who he was. But he learned by the Rashba. And the Ritva wrote his own commentary. And he took major objection. He objected to Rashba's interpretation over here. First, he brings, remember, what got Rashpa started into this whole direction. What got Rashpa started in this whole direction is the big shaila about the mason and Yecheskel, the dry bones. And you see, the guy woke up and still he had to keep tefillin. So there's a raya, then the erot chiyas, and mesem. we're still going to have to keep tefillin. The Ritzvah says, I'm very unimpressed with this proof or with this type of question. Because he says as follows. Holoi kasha, this is not a shayla b'chlal. Shaloi omru mina No one ever suggested that mitzvahs are bottle from someone who passed away. That's not the discussion. Of course, if someone passes away and then miraculously comes back to life, today, right now, they have to observe mitzvahs. There's no shayla about that. What we say is mitzvahs al Ha Masim It means in this new era that's so different from today. Sheyei seif in the end of time. That's where Karina obeyhayom la Sai, Lamaha La This is a, a passage from the Gomaran Zara, where there's this era that's called La Mahar Kabul Where and there it's not about activity. Today is about activity, today is about Kiyem and mitzvahs and there's this eventual time that's not gonna be about Kiyem HaMitzvahs. Trias Amesim of Yechaskel? That was only Bemixas, a few people had a Trias Amesim. So of course, Loy Batlu Torah omits this. Shadei Loy Hoyo Lehem Trias Amesim Gemur, No one thinks they went into the era of Trias Amesim? No one thinks they moved out of the era of Hayoim Laz and to the era of Schar? In fact, he says, they had children, the they passed away. For the ritva, this is signs that you didn't reach the real Because in the real for him, there is no procreation. That's an interesting comment that he makes. And there shouldn't be uh, where the person passes away. And so therefore, the ritva says, He's very unimpressed with this question of the Rashba using the story of that Sama Sayyid to kind of force a reinterpretation of the of Mitz in love." Then the Ritva goes on. And he, he quotes the Shita of the of the Rashbah and he summarizes it as saying, Zu Shita's haravzal. This is the Shita of the Rashba, And he writes, the Kama Hikeshay It's a very interesting Russian. I struggled with him, I spoke to him, it sounds like face to face, where I disagreed with the Rashba and I argued with him, I'm like, no, no, you're giving us the wrong pshat. Why? Chada, first of all, the de mitzviz bete'eletz la'vay, when you say the language mitzvah, bete'eletz la'asit la'vay, eim lo'imash, eim anu muzhar na Again, what's Rashba's theory here? Rashba's theory is mitzvah is that as people go into the grave, there's no mitzvah pertaining to them. Seriously, that's how you say it. Then you say, Ain mitzvahs l'meisim. Ain't chi of mitzvahs l'meisim. You can tell me, mitzvahs beteile los Lava, I'm sorry, it just doesn't sound right. The Oidi says, there's, I didn't show this before, but in the Gemara, there's a machloikas. Rav Yosef said, mitzvahs beteile slaset Lava. There's another amoder, Rav Yanai Says, he disagrees. Rav Yanai says that, that, uh, uh, he, that you're not allowed to bury a person with, uh, with shatness. Now, in the traditional understanding, what does that mean? What, very simple. One view says, mitzvah betelah slas elavah, so therefore you could bury someone with shotness. that's Rav Yosef. Rav Yana says, no, you're not allowed to bury someone with shotness because there's gotta be mitzvah slas So that makes a lot of sense. According to the Rashba, what's the two sides? One view says you can't put the person in the ground with uh, shotness you, you are allowed to because mitzvahs betelah is from dead people, and what's Rav Yanael? That you need, that, you, that the shemitahs and mitzvahs are dead people? Really? Is this really a normal svara? So Rav doesn't make any sense anymore if you say we're talking about the future. So you can say there's a valid debate. Is there mitzvahs in the era of Tchiyas HaMesim or not? There can't be a reasonable debate about whether when we bury people on the ground they have a chiyav of mitzvahs now, or whether we're obligated to ensure that they're keeping mitzvahs. I, children, what do you mean but we see by children, they don't have a chiyuv, and we're not allowed to actively lead them to an Aveira. You're going to compare that, children, to dead people, he says. Children are children, and they're about, they're going to grow up, and they're going to live a full life, so it makes sense to say that although they don't have a chiyuv, you're not allowed to go and actively lead them to an Aveira. that makes sense. But for someone who finished his mission here on earth, to start saying that we still have a thing to keep, that it's done in a way of tohira mitzvah, the burial, Obviously, the burial should be done in the Torah the mitzvah. The idea that they, that they have to observe one of the 613, and that's still on us, the Ritzvah is very unimpressed with this uh, type of argument. So just like, we'll do, we'll do the questions at the end, we'll do the question at the end. So just like, so just like we had with the Medrash and Mishle, we had the Rashba's innovative interpretation, we have the same thing here in the Gemara. The common denominator is, if you ask the Rashba, is there a time, ever, any time, And ever a time where there is no mitzvahs in this physical world, the Rashba's answer is no. There is no time. There cannot be uh, such a time. Okay. Now when we have uh, when we have an interpretation like this, it behooves us to dig a little deeper and to try to see is there more that's going on behind the scenes. And it does seem that there is much more that's going on behind the scenes. In 1863, there was a Jew by the name of Yosef Perls, or, per- or Perlis, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his name. And he produced a book in German on the Rashba. Full book, uh, biography on the Rashba. And he also printed in the back of the book interesting uh, letters from the Rashba that had never been printed before. I told you before that the Teshuvahs of the Rashba were printed already in 1470 on Erech in Rome. But there were many things from the Rashba, writings that weren't printed. And he found some interesting letters and he printed them in the back of this volume in 1863. And one of these letters is a lengthy letter called Pirish agadas L'Rashba, meaning the manuscript read Pirish agadas L'Rashba, Rashba's interpretation to the Agada sections of the Torah. And he published it at the back of his book in 1863. Now it's a good thing he did, because there was only one manuscript of this, uh, of this, um, of this uh, Mimer, you wanna say, or this essay from the Rashba. There was only one manuscript, and it was in the, it was in a Jewish institution in Breslau, the rabbinical seminary, and during World War II, that library was looted, and so this manuscript is gone. And so the only information we have about this manuscript is through Perlis's book in 1863. Uh, there's another for another uh, very similar thing is the Pirusha der Ashbam ala Torah. There's only one manuscript. That, uh, that had Piresh HaRashbam. What we have printed from the Rashbam is based almost all on one manuscript. This one manuscript was also in this place in Breslau in the rabbinical seminary. And again, it also disappeared during World War II. No one really knows what happened to it, if it even exists today. What's unique about this Piresh HaGadus to the Rashba is that he's, it's, he's contending with a disputation with, uh, with uh, Christianity. In fact, he writes a Lushen We're not going to quote from it, but I want you to know, he writes a a a, a few paragraphs before, where we're going to pick it up from. One of the wise Christians responded to me. In other words, he's attesting to the fact that the Rashba had a face-to-face encounter and a debate with a a Christian uh, scholar. And you'll see, as we read through this uh, text, that he's going to be talking about the fact that they say this, and this is what we respond. They say this, and this is what we respond. So let's have a little bit of a, a look of what we have over here. Umisha hakenegdeinu, and those who oppose us. We'll talk more a little more about uh, who he's uh, maybe referring to in a second. Toyinu so they come with ta'inus and they say, mitzad haagadah ishebo betalmud, using the agadata, using the non-legal sections of the Gemara, and they want to make arguments to support their cause. I opened this year by talking about the Ramban. We spoke about the debate in 1263. One of the unique things about this debate in 1263 is, for the first few good, good few centuries of Christianity, when they argued with Jews, and there was always argument with Jews from day one, the book that they pulled out was always a Tanakh, and they said, "This is the Pshat in Tehillim, Perek Beis. This is the Pshat in Yeshaya, Parak Nun Gimel, etc., etc., etc." The shift that happened. And as far as people can tell, it happened during this century, during the 13th century. There's a new tactic. The tactic was, if you study Chazal and Gemaras good enough, you'll see that we're right. This is the argument that was being put forth. And one of the places where it's more ripe for these types of things is Agadeta. Because Agadata Lechatchila is given in a way where it's vague and therefore open to more twisting and interpretation. And so this is what you had. You had and that's at the Ramban's debate, the issues that they discussed were mostly where Friar Paul was going to passages from the Agadata and Midrashim and saying, this proves that Mashiach already came, if you remember, and things like that. And the continuation of that is happening here. In Ramban's debate and what Ramban wrote, The main issue there was, did Moshiach come yet or not? They also discussed the issue of original sin, and they discussed achtos Hashem. But there was a big issue that is just as significant as any other when Jews and Christians are living with each other. And that is, is uh, Torah and Mitzvah still operative? Do we have to observe the law? And that didn't come up in Ramban's debate. And Ramban is going to tackle it, uh, and excuse me, the Nashba is going to tackle it over here. And what he's saying is that just like in Barcelona at the disputation, they invoked Agadata in order to justify their claims about Mashiach or whatever it is. They're doing the same thing now. They're gonna invoke Agadata to say that Jewish law is no more is no longer binding. And he's now gonna to have to contend with it. Now, when you're thinking about this, you may wonder: like, can you really make an honest academic argument that's persuasive and that is foolproof for this type of claim? That if you learn Agadata, you can make an argument that the Christian claim is right that we don't have to observe Torah anymore? So the answer is no, that wasn't the goal, that wasn't the attempt. Think about um, uh, debates that happen in the political scene today, right? This is not about getting the truth out there and it's not about having an honest, robust discussion that's foolproof and like you come out with the truth. The idea is about scoring points. It's about, uh, it's about dropping a good line that rings with the audience and the audience and it leaves an impression with people. And we have to remember the context of the time. There was many reasons, chas Shalom for a Jew to walk over to the other side. First of all, it's a majority culture, minority culture, and that's a majority culture. Today, majority culture is more secular, but then the majority culture was Christian. And it's very normal for someone living in a majority culture to join the majority. That's how Hashem created human beings. We're very influenced by the majority culture, and there's a tendency to join. Allah has kind of come when you add the fact that there was persecution and limitations on what Jews were able to do, in terms of how, what occupations they could hold, et etc., et, cetera, et cetera. So all you needed from their perspective was a little bit of an excuse for a Jew to have a little bit of an excuse where he schwach up a little in a Amunah and then he's willing to cross the other side. So this is not about presenting a full debate and where mamish convinced him al Pisechel. This is about scoring points and you get a few people who anyway are on the fence because life is difficult and anyway assimilation is a thing and then this may be the thing you planted a little doubt in someone and you said one little thing. And what's that one little thing? Your rabbis keep on telling you that the law is forever, that the law is forever and that we're wrong because we say the law is not forever. Well, guess what? We're going to show you that there's a God that so that say the law isn't everlasting. And this is, the Rashba is now going to quote the Gemaras that they're citing in this regard. So the first Gemara, relevant for our purposes here, is the Gemara in Barachas Yud Beis. And this is a discussion between Ben Zoyma and the Chachamim about Haskoras Yetzias Mitzrayim in the Yemois Hamoshiach, Where Ben Zoyma says, there's not going to be there's not going to be, when Mashiach comes, there's no more mention of the mitzvah, you have to remember, that's one of the Tayag mitzvahs. And Chachamim think there will be. But Ben Zaima says, that no, there's not going to be. And they cited Ben Zaima And they said, hold on, let's unpack this a little. If there's not going to be, okay, okay, there are other mitzvahs that are associated with mitzrayim. for example, carbon Pesach, for example, chametz on Pesach, for example, Matzah, that's just three. If they wanted, they could have gone with more. So if, if mem- mentioning Mitzrayim is not going to be around when Mashiach comes, so then we might as well just suggest that it also means all those other mitzvahs. It's not just one. All those mitzvahs are gone. And so here you see that according to the Shittah ben Zoyma, they say, The people arguing with me, the Rashba is talking, the people arguing with me say, you see over here that the law isn't going to be eternal. Um, And this is one Gemara, this is one thing that they, one Gemara that they bring. Second, next paragraph. They want to strengthen their taina against us from the Gemara about the shrouds, and what Rab Yosef said, mitzvahs las love. it goes without saying, here you have a clear Gemara that says there's going to be a day when, it doesn't, uh, when there's not going to be any Mitzvahs. And then they brought another Gemara, the Gemara which we touched on earlier, where it says, that now we live in an era of when we're actually doing, there's going to be a time when we don't have to do anymore. Kabbalah schar. And in fact, the Gemara over there says that God is talking about Sukkah, lasid Lavai. So the Gemara asks, how could you talk about the mitzvah of Sukkah, Lassit Lavai? Lassit Lavai is a time of Ayan Lassaisam, excuse me, it's a time of Lamachal Kabbalah schar. So here you have a third Gemara where it's pretty clear. Let's read the, the ice sphere of the argument. Vidaito Loimar, he's talking about someone specific over here. Vidaito Loimar, so this person wants to say, Shhezur Raya, this is evidence. Shekachme Yisrael Moidim, that the Jewish sages agree, Shah Mitzis, ain't on Nitschiois, Fasidah's leaves battle. And they're going to be nullified. If I and you agree with that big idea, oh Yeshu Rashus, Labala Din Lach like So now someone can come and say, Shafi Lub is manazabetelois. Once you agree that they have an end day, so now we can have a conversation. You say it as an end day in the future. I say it as an end day in the past. You see? So, and he goes further. There is no significant difference between us. It's all, right? it's, we're, we're really in the same boat? Our view is so different? Fellow Rabid, our view is so different It's so uh, uh, offensive to you? Why is it so offensive to you? It's very similar to what you hold anyway. It's just a difference in time. It's not an echos difference, it's a kamos difference. And this is how the Rashva summarizes the arguments that were happening at the time. Now, he, he is talking about the fact that he's having conversations with someone. And he's talking about tainus that are happening uh, and, and that he's actively a part of. Look at this other sheet over here. Here you have a book that was printed in the year 1687, long after... Uh, the period that we're talking about. The very, if you look at the right-hand side, there's a title page, so you wanna look at the title page. And you see with the title page, the top line it says, Raymond Martini, that's the author's name. This author did not live in the 17th century. This author lived during the times of the Rashba, and he wrote a book around the year 1270. It just wasn't printed till a long time later, and here we're looking at the 1687 print in Leipzig. Under his name it says, Ordinus, I can't read exactly that word, but it means, in Latin it says, order of preachers. So in other words, this Martini was a, he was a a Dominican friar, and his job was to be a preacher and uh, an advocator for Christianity. The title of the book comes under, it's called Pugio Fidei. I think that's the right pronunciation, I may be a little off. It means dagger of faith. This is a dagger in faith matters, adversus, against, Moros, Moors, that's how they called uh, Muslims at the time, E Judeos and Jews, that's the book. So we have a book written by Raimundi uh, Martini in the year 1270, uh, around the year 1270, and it is against Moors, against the Islamic faith, and against the Jewish faith. Now if you look at the left-hand side of that very page, you're looking at page 777 of this book, you'll notice right away that it has a lot of Hebrew on the page. And indeed, in the manuscripts, not all of them, but some of them from the 13th century onward, this book was authored not just with arguments against Judaism, but quotes and selections of quotes, both from Tanakh, as well as from rabbinic sources, and with the Hebrew, and then Latin translations, and then his arguments. And if you're looking at this page 777, you'll notice that the first Hebrew uh, source there is a pasach about Hukas olam. And the next Pasuk that is there is a, a Pasuk of lacha uvanecha Ad Olam. And the next third Pasuk on the same page is a Pasuk about Chukas Olam L'doidei Seichem. The next Pasuk over there is about Tamid. Y'archenu L'fnei Hashem Tamid. Again, what is he dealing with here? You don't have to know Latin to be able to tell. He's dealing here with the question of the eternal nature of Jewish law. And he's quoting Psukim. In other words, he's getting into this discussion and this argument right over here. On the bottom, you're able to see that he has a collection of sources of, like, the concept of, we spoke about this in a previous week, of where it says, and Chazal tells us, doesn't necessarily mean So he's familiar, with, he's familiar with those sources, and he brings them in here. In fact, the Sefer Ikrim, when he gets into this discussion about, is the law eternal, also makes the same, he says, the, the words chukas oilam themselves, in and of themselves, are, don't mean anything. You need to have the Torah Shabbat with us to be able to tell us what oylam means in each uh, case. But you're able to tell what argument is being made over here. And obviously where I'm going at is that in the very same era of the Rashba, and they also place this man, I'm not an expert in this, but they place this martini man in Barcelona. So in the time and place of the Rashba, we have this discussion in a book that's written, obviously in that day, it would have only circulated as a manuscript. If you turn the page, you'll see on the, on the right-hand side, on the right-hand side, which is page 787, if you go down toward like the lower third of the page, You'll notice he brings the Maimer Chazal from Yeshua ben Levi, from Gemara and to Zara. He's quoting here the Gemara. The Rashba told us they're quoting this Gemara. Here he's quoting this Gemara. You see that clearly on the page. Go over to the left hand side, which is page 781. Look at the big Hebrew text right in the middle of the page. He's quoting here the Ben Zoyma. This was, again, the Rashba told us that they're using the benzoima text to say, look, the law isn't eternal. Likewise, if you look to the bottom of page 781, you see the same thing. He's quoting here the Gemara benzoima. So even without knowing what he says here in the Latin, I think we're able to figure out, at the very least, what we're able to see is, there is an active conversation that is going on in the time and place when the Rashba is operating, discussing these very issues, and again, because of the Perlis uh, book, that we have, we have one Ksav of the Rashpa, where we see the Rashba saying that um, th- these very same arguments are being raised. There are those who go a step further and wanna make uh, an, an argument based on different things and evidence that maybe the Rashba had a face-to-face meeting with this martini or not. I don't know, for me that's already, it's not even necessary to go there, either he did or he didn't. What we know is that in Barcelona at the time, This was an active conversation, and we see the two sides of it. You see the Christian side over here in this document, and you see the fact that the Rashba is dealing with it. So now let's go to how the Rashba is going to address this issue. So what does the Rashba do? So Benigeya Yitzias Mitzrayim. I'll summarize what the Rashba says. The Rashba says two points. First of all. He says, I oppose this idea that because it's not going to be therefore it means it's a bundle. No Pesach, no he says that's not true. What's his simplest Raya? His simplest Raya is, if someone doesn't eat Matzah on Pesach, what's the Oynish? Oynish is a violated an Asay. If someone uh, didn't bring the carbon in Pesach, oh, it's Yisrkaris. So what do you mean? If it's one package, why would there be different types of uh, Oynshim? So you see, don't, don't run away with this idea that it's a package deal. And so therefore, his first point is, even if you establish that there will be no mentioning, uh, no obligation to mention Yitzhiya S'masai and La even if you cross that bridge, that's the only thing that's crossing that bridge and you're not bringing any other mitzvah with it because he feels like he took away the bundle and, once he, he, and, and that took away the central part of the argument. He says, okay, but what about that one thing? What about that one thing? The mitzvah to mention Yetzias Misraim? So you say, well, the Chachamim disagree. Okay, but there's another view, there's Benzoima. So he says, I'll tell you. I think this mitzvah is still going to be Lassad Lava, even Lashita's Benzoima. It's just the method of observance is going to change. So here the Rashbah does give a little ground. The method of observance is a lot of change, but the core of the mitzvah has to remain the same. What's the core of the mitzvah to remember Yetzias Misraim? What's the purpose? What's the function of the mitzvah? She so says, the function of the mitzvah is that I should recognize and know, that God is in control of everything that happens in this world. How do you remind yourself of that? When you remember the fact that Jews were enslaved in a very difficult place and no one thought they could ever get out and Afal became they got out. That reminds you, God is, is, is all powerful and he can extract you from your difficult circumstance that you're in in a di- given time and it builds your betachen. This is what the Rashba says is the core, is the soul of the mitzvah mentioning in Yetzirah Mitzrayim. Okay says he that when it's gonna come, Lavi. we're gonna do the same thing. Just instead of talking about Yitzh time you will talk about Bias Mashiach. You're gonna say there was a nation of Jews. We were spread out in the four corners of the globe under very, very difficult circumstances. No one thought we would ever be able to have the messianic era, and look, it happened anyway. And therefore, that shows us that God intervenes in history and, and is, 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 is relevant to our day to day lives. So the, instead of talking about Yitzh time we're gonna talk about Mashiach. Is that Bittl HaMitzvah? You could maybe, someone could argue it's bit of mitzvah. The last thing, I don't think that's bit of mitzvah. It's the core of the mitzvah remains the same. It's just the method of observance is changing. This is his, how he addresses the Ben Zayma issue. How does he address? The issue of Mrs. Betelis loss of love You already know how he's gonna address it, and he does so in this essay. He does it at length. He says loss of love is not talking about Mashiach satan. it's not talking about it's talking about when we put the guy in the grave, that there is no obligation for him to do Mitzvahs, that's the only thing it means. And he brings the children just like you would think that there's an obligation to ensure that children that you shouldn't be martial children with an avera. so so too, you shouldn't be martial someone who's deceased, and we say Nishtazoy, and that's the only meaning of this uh, of this uh, text and here is where he gives the answer we ask. So if this is gonna be mitzvah Lassala, why are you allowed to bury a person with a kalayim? What's gonna happen when, sh- when this triyah is gonna wake up, he's gonna be wearing, he's gonna be wearing his uh You are machalim, what gives you a right to do it? So he said, hold on a second. A teva nothing lasts that long. Clothes are gonna disintegrate. Yes, the Gemara says that there's gonna be a special nase that the clothes are gonna come back. Look, is a nace. Once we're at it, we add on another nace, that the person is going to return in his original clothing. There is such a gemara. Who's to say, and that nace is going to be that also the threads of shatness are going to come back. Why would God make a miracle like that? So therefore, you don't have to worry about it, because all the threads are going to decompose on the earth. There's not going to be any shatness. And so therefore, there's not an issue. And this is where he addresses what I said before was a gap in the chidushim in uh, Meseches Nid. What about the Gavarna Vida Zara where it says Machar is Loila asaysem it's only lakaboshar he says that's talking about Eden. that's talking about ilman Anashamis. that's talking about souls without bodies that's not talking about down here in this physical world this is his interpretation of that and here it's a very very long essay and he deals with a lot of issues but just to give a small taste and so all of a sudden we realize that what we saw, what we opened with, just looked like commentary. Regular rabbinic commentary on Hasnida, regular rabbinic commentary in a Shalos Hatshuvah about a medrish. All of a sudden we realize that yes, it is a rabbinic commentary, but the implications and the surrounding circumstances around that commentary, there's much more beneath the surface that needs to be taken into consideration. Now the ritzvah I showed you before disagreed. He debated with the Rashba. He felt that the Rashba's shot was wrong. And here, the, let's continue reading the ritva, and we'll, we'll see a new dimension for, for, for the disagreement between him and the Rashba. Look what the ritva writes. If a heretic whispers to you, someone who uh, follows uh, the students of Yeshu, Saying the following, Because the Jews hold that mitzvahs are going to be That proves the Torah isn't forever. Therefore, if the Torah isn't forever, Therefore, we could come and add or detract. You should answer. Only someone who himself has doubt would say such a thing. It's an interesting lesson. You, you You're not comfortable in your position and that's why you're saying that. Why? The Torah is forever. What do we mean by that? So long that our world exists the way it exists today. Where you have and you have you have Good and you have bad. As long as you have a battle between good and evil, the Torah is here to stay. When you move to a new world, there isn't two sides, there isn't a clash between holiness and unholiness. Then indeed, this not going to be Torah. It is not going to be mandates of mitzvah, he says. And then, look at this line. This is a complete answer to their claims. Now I'm going to read into, I may be wrong here, but I'm going to read into Vizu Teshuvah Gemurah. What's he saying? Rashba, you offered a very new interpretation to the Yom text and to the text in Gemara Nida. Why? You offered that new interpretation, not because it really deserves that interpretation. You offered that interpretation because you felt that you didn't need to have a very clear line that we say it's forever in this physical world and you felt that without this new innovative interpretation, there is no tshuva gemurah for the other side. I'm telling you, I disagree. What I'm saying is a tshuva gemurah. My perspective is a tshuva gemurah. We could say as long as the world exists the way it exists today, with this chus and chayv, yitzetayv and yitzahara, Thayramits is in full force. After that we can have a conversation after that, but we're not holding that after that. And that's a Thuva Gemura. So there's no need to twist ourselves in a pretzel, we could just take a Kapshutai. And then he adds, das Rabenu Natre Rachmana, my teacher, my Rabha Muvak. He learned by the Rashba. The Ritzvah learned by the Rashba. However, his Rabha Muvak was the Ru'a, Rabbi Aaron Halevi, who lived at the same time. And so here we see that really there was. On the one hand, it was the Rashba. On the other hand, you had the Ra'ah and his very loyal Talmud, the Ritva, and there was a debate. And on one level, you could say that the debate was, how do you interpret these texts? How do you understand these Divrei Agada?" On another level, the debate is, how do we deal with the challenge that Yiddin are facing today in our world? It pays, I think in this context, it's worth noting that the Ra'ah, the, the Rashba wrote a Sefer called Teiress Habayt, Halachis, Shechitah, Nida, and other things. And the Ra'ah wrote, uh, wrote um, a rejoinder to a number of the passages in that Sefer. The Rashbah Sefer is called Teiress Habayt, right? Because it's relevant to a Jewish home. And the Ra'ah called it bedek habay, it's like I'm coming to fix up the home because there's some issues that are over here. So here you see that in halachic matters, they, they weren't on the same page in every regard. And maybe when it came to the interpretation of Agoda, and maybe even when it came to the, how to deal with the, the challenge that Jews were facing at that time, maybe there was also a different perspective. And the ritva clearly says, I'm going to go along with the view of, the, uh, of my teacher, the Rav Hamu'vak, the Ra'ah. OK. The reality is, in summary, that both of these texts have been interpreted throughout our history in two ways. There have been those who've interpreted the text about the Yamim tovim there's gonna be a bit Yamim tovim, except for Yen Kippur and Purim. There have been those who said, no, it's a metaphor or they interpret it in, a, in an interesting way, like the Rashba, or different from the Rashba. Likewise, when it comes to the text of Mitzvah's Batei L'salat Sallavi, there are those who interpret the Gemara like the Ra'ah, like the Ritva, in a literal way. However, there are those who say that no, more like the Rashba, or following in his footsteps, and say, no, there's not gonna be a time of Mitzvah's Batei And you could track it, but ultimately, everyone pretty much fits into one of these two lines, into these one, two, one of these two schools of interpretations for one of the, for both of these texts. But we need to conclude with how does Chassidus and specifically Chassidus Chabad address these uh, these some of these passages. So what we're going to do is we're going to focus on a sikhah from the Rebbe and Tofshin on what is the meaning of mitzvahs betelos las and and I'll summarize what the Rebbe means here as follows. This is a sikh the Rebbe said in connection with the Siyemar Rambah that happened then in the Tishrei of Toshen on And it's a long essay on this whole discussion, on this issue of mitzvahs betelah salas And the Rebbe learns as follows. The whole concept of saying that a mitzvah really becomes batal is highly problematic according to Chassidus. Why is that? A mitzvah is God's will. Hashem. God's will and him are inherently linked. Just like God doesn't change, and there's so much uh, Jewish philosophical discussion on Ani Hashem Lo God doesn't change, God's ratzen can't change, God's will cannot change. So the idea is that today I want this, but tomorrow I no longer want this, it's not possible. And so therefore a mitzvah, God wants no shatness, that is a ratzen that has to stay forever and ever and ever, and therefore there can never be an imagination, a, a theory, a suggestion that that ratzen changes. So then what's shat? What does the word mitzvah mean? Mitzvah means a commandment. What does a commandment imply? A commandment implies that I have my own agenda. I wanna do my thing. I have my own feelings and thoughts. You are outside of me and you have a different agenda and you have a different plan. And then you come and you say, listen here, I know that you wanna do your own thing, but I'm commanding you to do it right. No one would say about their own uh, body, so to speak, that they commanded themselves to breathe. Why don't you say you commanded yourself to breathe? Because it happened, your, 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 your body is in sync with what you need for life. And so it happens automatically. Mitzvah means there's separation. And we overcome that separation by God commanding us. We don't want to, but we submit and we do Ratz HaNashem. La'asid la'vay, we're going to be in a situation where we're fully in sync. When we're fully in sync, we know our Ratz Hashem is. We know our Ratz Hashem is, we do it automatically. Not because it's a struggle. We're fully in sync, we do it automatically. And here the Rebbe went further and said, in fact... Not just we as humans will behave that way, all of nature will behave that way. And so therefore he revisited the question, what about shatness? You're burying the guy with shatness, what's gonna be lost in love when he wakes up? If you, when he comes back to life, if you say the mitz, the God's Ratsin is always gonna be in force, so what does it mean? How could he be waking up with his uh, shatness? What's the answer that Rebbe says? Just like the person is in sync, nature will also be in sync, which means that that, that shatnes uh, uh, strand is going to disappear. Because it is also going to be fully in sync with what Ratsan Hashem is going to be. And this is the interpretation of what Mitzus Betelah's La'asalave means. You could look more in this Siha. What about the Yomim So ebazoi, how do you interpret? This means, every Ratan Hashem is still there. So Ratsan Hashem for Pesach is still there. Ratsan Hashem for Shaifer is still there. So what does it mean, Mitzus Betelah's laos uh, excuse me, what does it mean, Mayadin Asidin Li Batel? So here Chassidus goes into the idea, that every yumtif has a certain revelation of alikus a different level of alikus we're in tune with it we're not in tune with it we could be in tune with it it's a separate discussion but there's a separate revelation of alikus lavoi there's going to be such a big gilu yumala rstias shamazanov he says such a big revelation of godliness that the specific revelations pertaining to specific Kaivim are going to be like a small candle in the presence of a huge flame where it's going to be meaningless Today it's like oh the Gila Lekusah Pesach big deal. Then it's going to be every day such a huge Gillo Lekusah. What does Pesach really add? What does the Gila of Pesach add? Not so much. Purim is so unique, and this is the chiddush. Purim is so unique. The gila Lekusah is going to be so special that even Lagabay, the Gillo, the revelation Lasalave, is going to mean something. Yom Kippur ah, there's an argument for two ways. There's an argument for two ways. On one end you could say. Nope, it's going to be bottle. Lagabe the giloy of Lasalave. On the other hand, another argument can be made that it's going to be something of value, Lasalave, and, and that's the debate. And obviously, this needs to be explained under the Maimaram. Explain what this type of thing means. So, from this fascinating topic that I found fascinating, I think the strongest takeaway message is: when you look at the endpoint, then it's supposed to influence the behavior today. If at the endpoint the goal is for the Nivra, for the creation, and for humans to be fully in sync with Hashem, that means that our job today is to try to find ways how we could become more in sync. How do we bridge this divide? How is it less of, there's my agenda and his agenda, and it's a battle to figure out how I submit to him, but how could it become a little more, obviously fully it's not gonna be possible, but how could it be a little more where we fall in sync? And I think the sources suggest that Limitator is one of the key ways of doing that. When we immerse in Hashem's wisdom, slowly slowly we inch our way toward where we want to be.